Hello, and welcome to the Music Teacher Copy Talk Podcast. I'm Carrie. And I'm Tanya. We are both elementary music teachers who love to talk shop, preferably over a steeping cup of coffee. This is episode 137. Today, we are continuing our 2023 Summer Book Club series by discussing chapters 5 and 6 of Realizing Diversity, an Equity Framework for Music Education by Karen Howard. We'll also play a fun summer game. And in our CODA section, we'll give some specific recommendations of our favorite summertime things we are enjoying out of the music room. So grab your beverage of choice and let's get started. Well, it's summertime. Yeah. So it's time for some fun summer games. Fun music teacher audiation yes, summer games. Yeah, so my, my theme for our summer games this summer is audiation games. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. I did a quiz last week. I broke the pattern. It was all right. That's okay. Fine. We can mix it up a little bit. Um, right. So here's an audiation game that I, ha- I call the radio game. And I literally played this game when I was a kid in the car. Um when my mom was running errands and I had to sit in the car. This was back in a time... Back when you could sit in the car. When nobody got arrested or police were not called when you had your children sitting in the car. I mean, the windows were down. It was fine. Also, (laughs) the radio worked without the ignition. Right. Right? So, anyway... Um, oh, I remember sitting in the car so a lot in I, the grocery store. You know, yeah. would sing along with the radio, and mm-hmm. here's the whole idea. Sing along with the radio, whatever was playing, and then I would turn the volume... Um, down. Down. <laughs> Off. <laughs> mute. Quieter. But you couldn't just hit mute back then. You no, literally no. had there to was turn no the mute. crank. Yes. <laughs> turn yes. the knob. You would turn the knob so oh, yes. that you could no longer hear it. Yes. And keep on singing. Yes. And keep on hearing it in your head. And then turn it louder to see if you're in the right spot love it so i played this game you know a lot it was how i entertained myself when i wasn't rereading judy bloom books so love it that's what we're gonna do today. <laughs> okay all right so we're gonna pick two songs we've already picked two songs it took yeah. us way too long uh, <laughs> to pick the two songs we were being particular we were being particular but we were practicing mind you we were just being particular no we songs. were not practicing no. so here's here's what we're gonna do we're gonna start a song we're gonna, you know, sing along. Not, not awesomely. This is not about us singing. Right. And then I'm gonna mute. The song will keep on rolling, and then at some point I'll unmute and we'll see if we're on. If we're on or not. Yeah. It's okay. Great. All right. Our so, first song is "Isn't She Lovely" by Stevie Wonder. Of course. And I uh, zipped ahead 11 seconds. Okay. So that we didn't hear all the instrumental. Okay. Um. Well, we can go back a tiny bit to get no, into it, the groove. It's all good. That's true. We do need to feel the beat. That's we the do. Whole point of the of game. Of course. Yes. Okay. But we will not. Also, um, we are looking at lyrics. But, but not we are real not, time. Yeah. We're not looking at bouncing ball or light up lyrics no, to keep us on track. Just to make sure we don't say weird words. And I c- encourage you to play these games on your own. Because <laughs> yeah. it's fun. Okay. All right. Here it comes. Isn't she wonderful? Isn't she precious? Less than one minute. I never thought that love would be making one as lovely as she. But isn't she lovely? Made 
from love. Is it she pretty? Oh, we're right up! Yay! So good. Yay, us! Okay. That one had a nice strong beat. Well, and you know, it was good that we um, got to audiate that little instrumental bass. Yeah, thank you for that because I didn't have that in my head. So, okay. Had I done it alone, I don't know that I could have done it. Well, that would be an advanced version. But, okay. So, oh, oh, sorry. You're giving it away. Play. Um, All right, song number two, song "Love number on Top" two. by Beyonce. Not song number two by Blur, which is a favorite of mine. But no, yeah, "Love on Top," Beyonce. Love. That was my choice. Yes. Okay. I can sing Beyonce anytime. And you know what? I don't have the words for this. That's okay. Oh, here I've got a. It's all right. I, okay. But we got to skip ahead because there's some little instrumental stuff there too. There are. There is. Yeah. Bring so. the beat in. Bring the beat in. That's when we come in. Um, almost. All right. Skip ahead like 10 seconds. Well, let's see where we are here. We want to hear this part, though. Bring the beat in. Have you seen that video? It's like, anything for you, Beyonce. And yes. he's carrying a beat on a plate. Yes. Like a vegetable. Yeah. Very cute. All right. Here it comes. Honey, honey. I can see the stars all the way from here. Can't you see the glow on the window pane? Can feel the sun whenever you're near. Every time you touch me, I just melt away. Everybody ask me why I'm smiling out from ear to ear. But I know. Nothing's perfect, but it's worth it after fighting through my tears. Finally, you put me first. Baby, it's you. You're the one I love. Good job. Again. Got it. Come on, baby, it's you. Yay. Okay, we can't play anymore because then we're going to pass our 30 second limit of how much we can play songs. Where'd you put my love on? Oh, oh you were a little ahead. Oh, wow. Sorry, I distracted you. No, it's okay. I was worried about the legalities. Of I get it. it. Okay, fun game. Yeah. Thanks, Tanya. Yeah, you're welcome. Play along at home, everybody. Yes, please. Uh, send us uh, an email and tell us how you did. Or you do the, that's so old-fashioned of you. Um, <laughs> do uh, Send us a uh, insta- message. Like what Lindsay do. Do, do yes. a little Instagram saying that you're you playing played. our audiation oh, yeah. game. And Not our audiation game. I mean. The radio game. The radio as game. As Tanya called it. Mm. The waiting in the grocery store parking lot radio game. Exactly. All right. So now for our main theme, and this summer for our 2023 book club, we are reading Realizing Diversity and Equity Framework for Music Education by the fantastic Karen Howard. And today we are discussing chapters five and six. Yes. So chapter five is specifically about diversity in music education. And once again, she takes us through these anchor standards, starting with standard six. Then we go through standard seven, eight, nine, and ten, and talks about what do those standards look like within areas of diversity for K through two, three through five, six through eight, nine through twelve, and then our personal favorite: what does it look like for the music educator? 
Um, you know, and to set us up, she also, you know, poses the question of what is diversity when it comes to the classroom? Does it refer to repertoire, students, educator identities, composer and arranger identities, economic statuses, abilities and disabilities, etc. All the things, which the answer to that is yes, 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 and yes. yes. All the things. And really, she comes down to the definition of in music educa- education, diversity should apply to all the identities we encounter and the music we include. <laughs> so right. it's a big thing. And she definitely acknowledges the the major elephant in the room, which is always the lack of training that we all have, that we are not well equipped to deal with this when we ourselves as music education students in our undergrad were likely only given a very small lens of what music looks like in our world and very much from the Western European traditions. Right. And can we zone in because we're talking about these um, these standards that she has fleshed out in the first chapter, but now we're really getting into them. And uh, when we talk about diversity as far as the actual musics that we are teaching students, yeah, this is key, um, a diverse repertoire because... Um, as it's a doorway it's a doorway into knowing other people yeah right and it's what we should be doing as far as the more you hear the more you know the more you can relate the more you can contextualize um but uh, and i like how later on she talks about um cultural appropriation versus appreciation and making sure that when you are bringing in these musics that you are doing your own research Mm -hmm. and also passing on this knowledge to students and the meaning behind the song and the meaning behind the language and, and the social political context that it might have come from. But anyway, I'm going to go back to standard six, which is on page 85 students and music educators will express, express comfort with musical genres and associated cultures that are both similar and different from their choices. Um, and engage respectfully with all musical genres and cultures. And what I really like about how she, um, well, I mean, I know that she added the music vocabulary for these, but what I really like in these level outcomes broken down through kindergarten through second grade, third grade through fifth grade, is how these are graduated terms of acceptance. So I like being around people. This is for kindergarten through second grade. Mm -hmm. I like being around people who like the same music as me, who like different music than me. I can be friendly to everyone. So being around is, another word is, well, this word tolerate has been problematic in the past, but just the idea of there are other people around who are listening to the same music and different, right? Right. And then grades three through five, I like knowing people and their musical tradition. So, yeah. and then six through eight is I interact with people. Like I, on purpose, com- communicate and make connections with. Right. And then the university grade level outcomes is I interact comfortably, which and is really, yes, and respectfully, so which I think is a very interesting differentiation between between it's kind of funny because sixth grade through eighth grade I interact with people and then the next level up is I interact comfortably Uh, and I when I kind of laughed because I was like well uh, as a parent of a uh, 
recent eighth grader. I was like, well, they're just interacting, but not comfortable with anybody for anything for a whole host of reasons. Well, right. And yeah. that's why it's a goal it's and a, a goal. standard that we're yes. working towards. But, and I show respect to all people and their musics is within sixth through eighth grade level outcomes. Right. Um, and then as we are looking at the music educator outcome, I interact comfortably and respectfully with all people and their music traditions, whether they are similar or different from me or different from what I was taught. Now, that's that's something I would love to say, of course, I'm there. But I've got biases. Oh, we all do. And, and yeah, you look at any social media music education group and you see it. You know, if somebody every time someone poses the question of, you know, I'm looking to add more popular or modern music to my curriculum, you get a host of responses and often many of them are negative because, you know, again, like we've talked about in past podcasts with this book and what Karen Howard talks about is, you know, this this feeling of putting down you know modern music and popular music that it's less than and but, i've had those feelings but let's take too. away the music etic- i mean of course this is a music educator outcome but let's just take it as um musicians ourselves or people who love music right do you love not and, and it doesn't say love all genres but do you interact comfortably and respectfully with all people in their music traditions well yes um whether they are similar or different or different from when I was taught. Uh, I'm not always comfortable with some music genres. I mean, I guess to find comfortable, like I can sit in a room where someone's playing any type of music and I'm not going to be like put out by it, but that doesn't mean I choose to go home and listen to it more. And I think, you know, but no are one you... expects yeah. anyone to love all music. Well, and we're going to get into this a little deeper on some of the other standards when it talks, well, well, we'll go there, but you know, there are some genres that, and I'm, I'm not proud but in years past i'm thinking there there's like a uh, there's a women's clothing store that is near where i live Mm -hmm. that i've walked out of because of the music play yeah see i i've never been that extreme in my opinions of music. well yeah but i mean i i understand and i'm not i'm not judging i'm just saying like for me it's really been more it's place in my classroom as far as music that gets played in my car around my house with the company of friends i mean and maybe it's because of where i grew up like country music for example well that's exactly I, what the music that i'm that yeah, is played I, in this in this store i walk a fine line with country music because i can listen to some but it's usually more acoustic bluegrassy kind of country music sure. like i like the chicks i'll listen to the chicks and usually more female country music but you get into male country music especially that was really like garth brooks type country music that was just not not my thing and right. I had tons of friends in high school who loved Garth Brooks and country music so it was around me all the time yeah. but I just myself never preferred that music yeah well, and, and you know if I was in an elevator I wouldn't claw to get out I mean of course <laughs> if I was in a situation it depends on the situation if yeah. I was in a place if I was in a restaurant with people yeah. I wouldn't leave yeah you know but I mean if I walk into a store and I'm just browsing, and it happens. <laughs> That's just another reason to leave. Well, I, I guess I would just tune it out and keep moving. But Well, um, anyway. I, but, I mean, thank you for being vulnerable and honest, because I think a lot of people feel that way about different types of music. I mean, that, I mean it is what it is, you know. It is. And it's okay, again, it's okay to have preferences, but the idea is, and comfortable as far as, like, 
again, I'm not going to claw my way out of an Aladdin elevator, but I'm also allowed to say I don't prefer this type of music, but sure. it's fine that you and do. And then again, let's put back on the music educator hats because yeah. as music educators, as a music educator, I have had students express, oh, I love such and such genre, like who love country, country popular country on the radio right now by yeah. specific artists that, and I don't, I don't make a comment about that sure i just say that's awesome that we you... don't want to yuck someone else we're not yum. gonna yuck their yum <laughs> okay let's move on yeah. um well really i mean yeah. all of these standards kind of i mean they all have their own subset of what we're getting at but but standard let's... seven talks more about describing the music but and... standard eight talks about respectfully express curiosity yeah about the history and lived experiences related to particular music so we're getting in deeper as we go through these standards as far as not just be tolerant of but also like express curiosity and that's the key word is is curiosity if you can stay curious about what are the connections of this music what is its context and this is something that i know you model through your like musician of the day that you do and i've done in the past and you know i think one of the ways that we can model this is by not pretending like we're an expert on every type of music every genre every culture and she even gets to this in the book like it is just not realistic that we as musicians or music educators are going to know the deep ins and outs of every single musical tradition of every country and people. I mean, mean, but that shouldn't make us not want to play it. So for example, if I'm playing a musician of the day or playing a a music genre or music from a particular culture, I'm going to do some research ahead of time. Of course, I don't want to just be like, uh, here's some music from a place in Africa and that's all I know, you know, like I'm going to want to know specifically what's the culture, what's the people, what's the language. But then as students ask questions, oftentimes I say, I don't know the answer to that question. Yes, exactly. And that's great because we can't be expert. And I tell the students that this is not my culture, but how about, you know, if it's appropriate in the moment and I'm not too afraid something crazy is going to pop up, I might just Google it right there in front of the kids. For sure. Or I will say, let me research that and I'll get back to you on that the next time I see you. Yeah. Um, and and the and plus is they are expressing their curiosity exactly. about what's going on. Yeah. Uh, in that standard specifically, and I'm talking about standard eight on page 87, um, when you look at the music educa- educator outcome, here is where it's tricky. Um, I respectfully express curiosity about the music history and lived experience of others, including music outside of the type I teach, and I exchange ideas and beliefs in an open-minded, non-hierarchical way, which is contrary to what we've been taught. And we've said, you know, before that these standards have in, you know, baked in there, despite how I've been taught, or regardless of how I've been taught. This is tricky because we talked about this on our last podcast episode, is that, yes, we ingested a hierarchy of musics um, just because we went to music school in the United States, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we even talked about how it happened before college. 
yeah. this this hierarchy that we were taught because we were music students, because we yeah. were musicians, and because it was passed down to us, this well, it's idea so, of a hierarchy. It's so ingrained in our American society that, you know, when you go to the symphony, you get dressed up, and you go to a fancy concert hall, and you sit quietly, and you listen to that music, and it's placed on a different type of pedestal than going to a rock show, even though ticket cost to go to a rock show depending on the artist is going to cost you just as much if not five times more than going well to okay i'm pushed back because wouldn't you just consider that to be the traditions and cultures around that type of music and listening to that type yes of music? but it's also considered to be fancy it's considered to be something that the elite does that people who have money do who goes to the opera that's how i felt growing up and maybe this is just my uh, experience. well no i i but like you know, you. my grandparents, who were very steeped in classical tradition, and their friends would get dressed up and go to the orchestra, where my friends' grandparents, maybe they wouldn't. And it's it wasn't necessarily a socioeconomic thing, but it was just the culture. It was just, it was deemed as like this fancy cultural thing. To right. And, and that's come about, you know, throughout the ages, because back when quote classical music was the thing it was something that everybody was doing and right. it was exactly you know this is within the last i'd say 100 years right, right. that it's yeah. become that but i think what's interesting is at least here in colorado we see a lot of modern orchestras are pushing against that so like our symphony yeah has they're doing some all these shows with rock artists right. and they go Be- to Red beethoven and bruise where exactly. they're trying to bring a younger crowd yeah because beer means young crowd. Well, right, yeah. Well, especially here in Colorado. <laughs> yeah, that's our, but that's our culture. But no, I and I think that just. But it's they're also doing like that. video game music, yeah, exactly. and they're trying to just enlarge that scope of what is symphonic music, which right. I, I totally appreciate. I do um, too. But back to this idea of the hierarchy of musical genres and styles that that's a hard thing to dismantle. Yes. Not saying it's not. Of course, it is definitely worth doing, but. That's why, as I look at these standards and I look at these outcomes and the music educator outcomes and I go, where am I? I know I can pick apart this statement and go, that's where I need to work. Well, and I think for me, it's about what have I chosen to take out? So, you know, when I first started teaching 27 years ago, I had a composer of the month and I had a typically white dead guy hanging on my bulletin board and we listened to music of said white dead guy. And, you know, and I'm not again yucking someone's yum if you just absolutely want to share the beauty and joy of Beethoven's music I mean I love Beethoven there's nothing wrong with that but what I have chosen to do over the past few years is not focus on Beethoven well of course and And we've talked a lot about this even before I mean for for a very long time about how we want to be all-encompassing and not make this delineation between here's music in the classroom and here's music in the rest of the world exactly. and that is a big difference we want to make sure that we provide students with this understanding of music connecting us through classes through um through all of our social structures and that the music that we're doing in the classroom is relatable to music that we're doing out that that they we want to you know this is the message that we want to give music for everyone yeah yes and for me I mean and I'm not saying I have all the answers because I'm still learning I mean I feel like I've gotten better with genres of music still within what I consider to be American music what I want to 
do better is more quote-unquote world music right music of cultures outside of um you know american cultures right and, and so, that's where i want to start bringing in so more music that's not as familiar to exactly students. and speaking of that that's yeah. a good segue into standard 10 students and music educators will examine musical diversity in social cultural political and historical context rather than in ways that are superficial or oversimplified which i think has been the problem with you know uh music diverse music quote world music that back in the 80s was starting to uh become part of the classroom is that it was diversity for the sake of diversity and Mm -hmm. and not connected to other contexts and it was simplified it was a lot of times superficial I can think of pieces that I sang in high school choir that uh, well I mean and Dr. Howard talks a lot about this like specifically spirituals that's not that's been a trope that has been um appropriated for lots of years by lots of um you know choir directors throughout a a long time um but I can think of musics that I've sung in different languages that I was not given the context I was not given the background and I guess I just always came away with that that was my work and I didn't do it right right and no it really is the work of the music educator if you're going to bring in a piece then yeah give it some context yeah I mean she says it's not just about the sound the sonority of the music we're doing it's about the stories the the history the culture mm-hmm. of where this music comes from and let's dig into that because that specific standard in the music educator one it specifically says I understand that musical diversity includes the impact of unequal power relations right because you can't talk about diversity without talking about how we do have yeah this unequal power relation and it a lot depends on who are you teaching and what are you what music of who what whose people are you teaching exactly right so that leads us into this next section of this same chapter where she digs into this idea of power and privilege which then leads right into appropriation which is all related to it you know and again this is something that comes up I know with music educator colleagues and people that I know and the people I don't know on social media is you know some really have a hard time accepting uh, this idea of power and privilege and I understand this is where it can get political and people don't want to get political well and yeah this is this is life and to deny that is is to turn a blind eye. I to did some brief on. talk back in the margins here. Okay. Okay. What because, do you say? <laughs> well, uh, yeah. So when we are considering, because on page 90, when mm-hmm. we're talking about considerations of power and privilege, right? And I'm just going to read this little vignette, which is great because totally. Uh, okay. Brad is a white cisgendered heterosexual university music ensemble director who expresses resentment about being expected to do things that he has not studied in university classes. Right. Um, goes on to say, you know, I've had all these years in university. I extensively studied, blah, blah, blah. I find it frustrating to be in a place where I worked hard to do really well in my classes and to learn as much as I can and then to feel like there's such a major hole in my training. And I said, in my margin, wah, wah, Brad, join the team. Uh, <laughs> no, it's true. But, but it's like, yes, this this is something that, yeah, we can be annoyed about it, um, but 
that's what happened. That's what happened for Brad. That's what happened for me. I'm sure that's what happened for you. Yeah, it's that, still yeah, happening. I had a lot of musical training, and you you can't have all that you need to have for yeah. your future for the future world forget about just like being a music teacher or an educator just to to live in the world like do we have everything that we do we have all the understandings that we need to have to live 20 years down from now right right down the line no and we all have to keep evolving and changing we do have to keep evolving and changing (laughs) that's what professional development is for right and of course if you're going to be in education for longer than five years there are things that are going to change around you technology communication skills things Um, our kids are dealing with right global pandemics like to say that we're going to walk out of yeah undergrad and I'm going to teach the same way for the next 40 years of my life is, yeah. But at the same time, I do recognize the frustration. Oh, I totally resonate with that idea of like, wow, I did all this work and I have to do more work. Well, I think that's part of being an educator. Yeah. If you want to be a a decent educator because you have a responsibility to current and future generations to do better than what happened. Well, I see we also highlighted this quote on 91, and this one was a gut punch. Um, so this was a, yeah. a quote from a music educator named Wayne Bowman. Yes, because I, I feel called in, yeah. called out. Uh-huh. Called in. Uh, yeah, so I'm go just going to read it. It's because uh, if you are a Kodai inspired music educator, especially. And this is a quote from Wayne Bowman. Let's yeah. just be clear. Go. Yeah, not me. But I get it. Okay. Might music educators be better off sticking to the comparatively easier business of teaching children T's and Ta's, note values, and how to sing together in tune? Or would that simply be an implicit endorsement of existing exclusionary practices that privilege some while marginalizing? others to which i wrote touche wayne touche wayne <laughs> and we know this but yet we go back to what's comfortable and what's easy and in my kodai training i know that in first grade i'm going to teach ta and tichi and so me and la but mm-hmm. what i don't know is how i can include music from different and other cultures in well, a way that's going if, to expand my children's horizons that's a way bigger yeah, thing but if we keep keep examining examining you know what i mean if we keep examining and we keep ruminating yeah is what i mean to say on all of this we'll probably also come to the conclusion that uh working it into what we are already doing is still a hierarchical uh way to go about things right that maybe we just need to dismantle all of it but i also <laughs> believe in the power of well i do too musical literacy and, i mean i'm I still mean, doing it well but that, what is music literacy okay Carrie? but I, i'm gonna say i think it is still important that in american schools all children have access to learning how to read and write musical notation western okay. European musical notation. But why? Because we've perpetuated this well, idea that that's that how we is do it? How, yeah, because, yes. I'm just and, playing devil's advocate. Okay, so how are. do we dismantle this idea of this Western European, this notation system, everything that we have in place to play this specific genres of music? How do we dismantle the idea that this is the be-all, end-all well, because, yeah, exactly. Time. The time spent on it. So I'm not saying that I'm going to stop teaching Ta and Titi in first grade. So by doing that, and I'm just playing, like, again, I, are, are we perpetuating this idea? 
I think there can be a balance, and I haven't found it yet. I'm not going to lie. I think there can be a balance of teaching students traditional notation skills and also teaching them that music is learned in other ways as well, through aural skills, yeah. through improvisation, through call and response, which I think they're, they're we getting along pretty okay in Ghana by everything being aural and oral, right? What's that? I mean, in other societies in Ghana, everything is transmitted orally. Exactly. Right? But we don't live in Ghana. And so I'm also saying, yes, I want my students to understand that. But in the United States, in many types of music, not all, because we can also talk about popular music and rock music and all that that is produced in studios with just chord progressions. But then you still have to have an understanding of chord progressions. Well, let's talk about garage bands. And I'm not talking about the iPad app. I mean, for (laughs) like... You know, when I was a teenager, I loved playing bass in a rock band, like in someone's basement. Right. I didn't look at any notation. I didn't look at tablature. But you had an understanding of it. How did you, you didn't just play by ear by just listening and going, okay, I need to play this note, but I don't know what this note is called. I did. You didn't know that you were playing a G or a C or a whatever? No. Oh. I didn't. And I'm not saying, I'm not yucking your yum. I understand, but I but figured I, I mean, you as that being was... a musician was, was thinking that way, is what I'm saying. Because you had prior experiences. Well, I think it's also because the instrument was the bass. And I did know some of that. <laughs> Are you knocking the bass? No, no, bass no. I'm all about the bass. Ah, <laughs> uh, touche. Uh-huh. No, what I'm saying, okay, so when I started kind of loosely learning guitar, yes, like here's a G chord, here's a D7, whatever. Got that, right. But on the bass... When I started playing bass, I literally put on records and found the notes on the fretboard and found the patterns and played along, and learning what the notes were was much later and wasn't relevant. Right. And that's great, too. And this is what I'm saying. And this is why, you know, folks who are in the ORF approach, you know, are are thinking in that way as well, as far as students being able to improvise within a tone set, and they're not necessarily thinking about the note or the notation. They're hearing the patterns and echoing them. And then sometimes, once in a while, when I see these wonderful lessons of people who are taking pop songs or rock, whatever the popular music of the time is, and they're saying, oh, look, here's a great tea tick a pattern that we can um, take from said song mm-hmm. and we can use this song in our curriculum. There's times when I'm like, well, is yes, about? but um, like singing along with the song or even putting the song on any kind of orf instruments or strumming in on the guitar, like that really figuring out the specific rhythms that are played or the specific melodies are, that are played is is outside of the experience. To, to name it in that way is not necessary and even just more trouble than it's worth. And I do agree with that statement for sure. Um, I guess what I And it's say, not organic. It, yeah, it's not organic. It's not organic. So, you know, I don't know what the answer is yet, and I'm still working on it, but... Well, I mean, and I don't I, either. I'm just I'm trying not, to... I'm not throwing out notation. <laughs> I'm not I'm not there yet. Well, I'm obviously not throwing out notation either. either. I'm just trying to 
Like, I think there can be a balance is what I'm saying. I okay. think that notation has a purpose in our society. If you want to sing in a choir that uses printed music, if you want to play an instrument in band or orchestra, which is still the predominant ensemble structure of high schools. Yes. You know, and, but and colleges. But when will it not be the predominant structure? When Why will does we it have, not have to? I mean, well, when will we be more inclusive? Well, because you only have so much space for so many ensembles. Why isn't mariachi But in mariachi, ensemble? at least the program that I'm familiar with, they're still reading chord structures. And yeah. they're still reading notation. I know a lot of mariachi programs where they read notation. Okay. So I'm just saying, like, notation is used all around the world. Yes, yes, it is. So, That's and true. this is one but, of the beauties but of different selfish. notations. I do know music teachers who are so deep, you know, so deep into the modern band yeah. uh, model yeah. that they would rather teach their kids tablature yeah right and i mean i get that argument i certainly do and that's why like when i teach ukulele to my students like i don't mind the fact that i'm just putting on youtube play along videos and they're playing along for the joy of playing along right we're not sitting there analyzing the chords well and that's back to what i was saying it's like sometimes taking out the western like figuring out what it is in western notation it just feels silly yeah yeah i mean i've done some west african drumming on the djembe and initially i was like oh i wonder what this looks like written out and then i was like no i don't want to see this written out exactly i i it would be too much yeah it would be it would be not necessary and it wouldn't be completely accurate as to what the patterns are that we are playing all right i'm going to jump over to um something that was really big on page uh, 92 when we're talking about coming away from colleges, universities with music degrees. Um, when we say we offer a degree in music, whose music do we mean? Right. Because that's, that's a big deal. Right, right. Right. Because that's back to, you know, you can't include everything. What musics are you including? And back to that whole hierarchy what are we and how and we keep perpetuating this yeah right and I think yeah having opportunities for students to experience things like a gamelan orchestra or mariachi or west african drumming like that is all fantastic I'm all for having those opportunities Mm -hmm. but I think that we will never get to a place in America at least not in my years that I'll be alive you mean the United States the United States thank you where we completely are done with traditional orchestras and bands and opera and musical theater and to be honest I don't want us to I I value in those things too I (laughs) value those musics too for sure and that's where I have lived most of my life yeah um but I think, yeah, having options and being representative of more musical options, and then especially being in the United States, considering popular music, modern music, and how those musics are created through electronic means and through, you know, improvis- improvisatory things and, right. you know, drum machines and those kind of things where, yeah, you're not sitting there writing. Well, I the think beats. the other thing is that you can't possibly keep up with all the things. So you must make choices, and how do you make those choices? And I don't want to be an old fuddy-duddy music teacher who just ages out and says, well, I can't be doing it the way I used to do well, it, so I guess be, I'm... We would not be reading this book or having this conversation if you or I were that teacher. I know, but I, I still see within myself that whole... I, 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 back to Brad. I feel you, Brad, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> we feel you, Brad, and then we're also like, come on, let's all get over it at the same time. Let's, well, and let's dig in. And again, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably are digging in. So, or you've turned us off because we're yeah, used over you're it. Okay. Um, 
cultural appropriation. Again, I mean, anytime that I want to think about cultural appropriation, I turn to, there's an article that I love that Karen Howard wrote on cultural appropriation, and this is another uh, place where I will just constantly come back to, because it's such a difficult thing to define and understand. So through the examples and the vignettes, it's just so much easier. Um, I just want to read kind of where she ends up as far as the actual definition of cultural appropriation, which is on 94. According to Karen Howard, cultural appropriation is defined as taking intellectual property, traditional knowledge, cultural expressions, or artifacts from someone else's culture without permission. But then she goes on to, how do we receive permission? It's not like you can go up to one person of a certain culture and say, hey, can I teach this song? And they say yes, and that means it's okay. Um, She says, Karen Howard says, we receive permission through researching the music, learning of the socio-cultural context, and ensuring that the people of the music are represented in the learning process through listening discussions and more. So again, it goes back to doing your homework, doing your research, not positioning yourself as being an expert of music that is not yours, especially if it is of, you are of the dominant culture and you're doing music that is not of the dominant culture, then you yeah. need to recognize that in a child-friendly way and then do your research, do your homework. And if you're able to bring in someone who is willing to do that work with you and get properly compensated for that work and is passionate about teaching that work, great. But if not, you can do it yourself with a proper amount of homework and research and then acknowledging the people who, of which this music comes from. And like she said, I'm not finding the exact place where she discusses that, but you know, you as a music educator, if you are a white music educator, that does that does change things. Yeah. Um, as far as the protocols. Yeah, yeah, she talks about if you're a white music educator teaching a spiritual, it is flat out going to be different than if you are a african-american music educator teaching spirituals. so this wasn't really talked about um in the book but are there certain musics are there are there certain um cultural groups that as a white music educator that you think that we should just completely lay off like not do at all honestly for me it has been indigenous native yes. american and that's cultures. what i was going to bring up yeah. is that for better or worse, there there was a time where I think that I was pro- appropriating because I did not. Oh, I was hundred percent because I did not uh, uh, transmit, uh, no. d- communicate uh, history and. Well, many of the songs that were taught to us well, in our Kodai training are also real. not authentic Native American right. indigenous songs. They were songs that were composed to be in the style of, you know, these stereotypical things. And we For can sure. link to a really great video that we've linked to before. Mm-hmm. Michelle McCulley, I believe, is the last name yeah. of, of the gal who's involved with um, decolonizing the music room. Yes. And has amazing research and things to say about this topic. So right. And, and I feel... We'll like I, I feel it's 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 hard. I feel guilty that I don't go there, but at the same time I don't I don't know. I don't know. Well what you and I, I do have talked is about I this. show this is an example of where I just show students exactly. videos we hear or play or we authentic show, recordings. But we, we don't, don't do it. it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I know that as far as I mean, and this is a big blanket statement that generally sacred musics of native americans should not be performed by people outside of the tribe of the culture right 
hundred percent. And definitely not in a um, secular venue or a secular way. It's not yeah. part of your third grade concert and all of that. Yeah. Right. And if I were to go and visit and be with people and ask permission and they granted that permission, that would be different. But I've never done that. So at this point in my time, in my career, I'm, and it's not that I'm avoiding it. Like you said, I'm just, I'm, I'm allowing students to hear it and appreciate it, but not participate in the musicking themselves. Right. Yeah. So a lot of this are things that, you know, yes, I, I am uncomfortable with certain, um, yeah, certain things that I, I need to just educate myself if I am using, using, if I am teaching, excuse me, if I'm teaching music of another genre, and I'm, I'm thinking specifically now about the spirituals because I'm looking at some things I highlighted about African-American spirituals. And I'm also thinking back to a, um, well, I mean, whenever there's a choral festival, right? Yeah. There's a inclusion of a spiritual. Mm-hmm. And I did my best to speak to that with my students uh, when my choir is part of a larger festival. But then I think, well... I should push more to make sure that within the context of the concert that something is said. Yeah. Because yeah. Well, and I've at- let that go and said, well, it's not my responsibility. It's so-and-so is the one who is introducing the pieces. And so, oh, hands off. That's a handy excuse for me, right? Right. And that's something that we should bring up more. Yeah, how it's introduced to the kids, how it's introduced, how it's introduced to, the to the audience, how it's introduced to you all and the And where students. it's placed in the program because, you know, and we've talked about this on this podcast too, like so often in, you know, choral programs we see spirituals are placed at the end and it's like a fun, uplifting piece. And yes, yeah, spirituals can be very fun and uplifting and joyful and inspirational, but that erases the history of, of the harm and the pain in which these songs come from if they're always your, your concert closer and hooray, you know, without acknowledging right. those that, that, that other side to it. So. Right. And, and part of all of this, like we keep coming back to, is that tread lightly and then a lot of music teachers myself included at times have said well I, I just won't tread at all so and that's a, another reason why people just scurry back to what they know and they go wow I don't want to step on a landmine I don't want to step in it I'm just going to not go there at all and I know that that's so very common and our chapter six justice and music education had some great vignettes and breaking down standards 11 and 12 and 13 and 14 and 15. Um, sorry, just looking ahead. Uh, I want to go over to this idea because I wrote some more marginalia. Uh, standard 11, students and music educators will recognize stereotypes and relate to musical selections as individual pieces rather than repre- represent- representatives of groups. Which is interesting because we were talking about genres, yeah, and um, recognizing diverse tastes in genres. But now we're talking about listening just to individual pre- pieces and not considering them as representative of the group that they came from. Anyway, uh, I was really stuck on this because on the grade level outcomes. Uh, for third grade through fifth grade, it says, I try to get to know different music traditions because I know it is unfair to think all people listen to and perform the same music as me. 
Yeah. And I wrote in here, many are stuck here, and I'm not even talking kids. Right. And that's third grade through fifth grade. I can't. I. I, I can't think of specific. It doesn't matter. I. I know there have been many times, um, and not just with music, but there have been many times where I've been around people who are like incredulous that other music exists. Well, right. Is and that's so strange. Yeah. But uh-huh. again, can we turn it back on ourselves? And oh, sure. <laughs> because yeah, I feel the same. I mean, I felt the same way for a very long time about hip hop music, and I mean, again, it was around me a lot growing up as a kid. So I guess maybe I wasn't in denial that other people listen to it, but it certainly wasn't the music I listened to. You know, right? Um. So yeah, I think. And I mean, how many times do we play music that is just very different? Right, from and our the students? kids giggle and laugh, and yeah. I get why that happens. Yeah. Or God forbid, you show a performance of a group that is very, very different from another part of the world. And, yeah. and um, I'm thinking, I've shown um, the Bulgarian women's choir, mm-hmm. and the sound coming out, and the kids are like, "What? What's going on with that?" But this also reminds me of the importance of like if you're going to be playing music from, mm, let's just say Japan that you could give your students an example of folk music from Japan, but then also popular music from Japan. Yes. And then you're not we're not upholding a stereotype that all people in Japan are walking around wearing that, traditional right. clothing and playing traditional instruments. That exactly. there is also modern society as well and we right. can appreciate all aspects of that. I, I did a a deep a kind of a deep dive into music from Trinidad and Tobago because I played a folk song and then I was like it was like the week of this lesson and I was like well I, I want to I want kids to hear some artists that are on the radio right now exactly and I came across a few artists and I was listening to and I found a song I could use but I was having some problems because like the biggest artist and I'm sorry I'm blanking on who we, his name um all of his songs were, well, I mean, it's just. It's the same problem we have here. It's the here. same problem we have here, yeah. <laughs> we're like, I'm like, ooh, I can't play that. There's a lot of mention of SEX. Yeah. Ooh, I can't play that. It's mostly the, the sex. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it was like, you know, scandalous lyrics. And I'm like, ooh, yeah, mm, no, let's <laughs> go somewhere else. Right. But yeah, I think it is really important that you're like, well, no, not everybody in Japan's wearing kimonos. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and I think this is definitely a trap I've fallen into in the past. Is like I'm going to teach my students world music, and no. it's like stereotypical. Well, we've talked about the big-headed children on. Well, I know. I was just about and, to say the clip yeah, art that you get. Art. World oh. music. Here is what they look. They're all wearing lederhosen yeah, in Germany. And sombreros and holding maracas. Like right. this is not a thing. And so yeah. And like, yet their skin is white. Because it's all. Well, there's that problem too. Yeah. Um. Well, anyways, you know. Well, that's, you know. The stereotype thing, we have to be very careful of that as music educators, yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's a whole quagmire with that. All right. And then in standard 12, uh, I know, but okay, students will and music educators will recognize unfairness on an individual level and injustice at the institutional or systemic level. Discrimination against particular musical genres and cultures, and that holds standard. That's, that's some things to step in that... Um, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to do that. Yeah, I feel I, like I, I needed some vignettes on this one. Yeah, for so sure. <laughs> so the music educator outcome for that is I can recognize, describe, and distinguish unfairness and injustice toward people and their musical preferences and practices at different levels of society, particularly in music education. Yeah, 
I could do that me on my, on my own, but am I good at bridging that? Am I good at, at starting that conversation with my students? And let's look to see where most of my students and yours would be. Let's just go to third through fifth grade level outcome for standard 12. I know when people's musical practices and preferences are treated unfairly, and I can give examples of prejudiced words, pictures, and rules. So that's, that's, um, that's tricky. It is tricky. I mean, I think the best example I can think of, again, is thinking about things like, let's take Thanksgiving, for example, mm-hmm. and have I been bold enough to go up to a teacher that I know in person to say, hey, maybe you shouldn't be doing that um, Indians and Pilgrims play that you've always done in kindergarten. Now I'm going to say I'm not necessarily in a school that's doing that at this current time. But it goes beyond calling it out. It goes in, it's introducing these ideas to the students of like, hey, within music practices, kids, can you see how these people or this genre or this is uh, has has been there's been unfair practices around this and i guess i'm trying to wrap my head around this is going to sound the words, incredibly naive yes where are they seeing that explicitly in their day-to-day lives where are they seeing that music that people are treated unfairly in their musical preferences. Other than, I mean, honestly, talking about laughing and giggling at somebody who says, I like this music versus that music, or us playing music that's unfamiliar to them and they giggle. Other than that, I'm having a hard time thinking of a time that my students would come across that, or am I being incredibly naive right now? Well... Um, I mean, could we talk about, like, the way women in music are treated unfairly or marginalized people are treated unfairly? I mean, I don't know. Like, where are our kids seeing that? That's the part I'm struggling with. Well, I mean, if you want to talk about gender, I think we definitely see that more so, well, I don't know, that than we ever have. But uh, we've had this conversation before, I think, on this podcast about um, women musicians and I, I, I love Beyonce. I, I love Lizzo. Well, and, and Lizzo's breaking some other barriers, right? But I think about some of the artists that I, some of the female artists that I'm a big fan of who would not be accepted in the industry. Let's talk, talk about Joni Mitchell. Joni Mitchell's attractiveness is not on par with um, what we see in popular music now right we've got representation through social media that's a, a lot of it's visual yeah and a lot of the way people get popular get clicks get likes get whatever followers has to do with physical attractiveness or what's deemed physical attractiveness in our society at the moment right, right. which ebbs and flows somewhat but, but Joni Mitchell is still an extremely successful musician that's deemed very you know, okay, high but, quality music but by if many she, people. Sure, but, but if she had been forging out today instead of the nineteen late 1960s, 1970s, would she have been listened to at all? Let's talk about Tay-Tay. Let's talk about Taylor Swift. Yeah. I remember when Taylor Swift first came out, and she was a, 
young country teenager, right? Yeah. And she, I, there was a, a little bit of time, and I'm not a Taylor Swift aficionado. I'm not a, I'm not a Swifty, as they call them. <laughs> um, you know, I, I appreciate Taylor Swift. I'm just not a big fan necessarily. But there was a time where, like, she was making fun of the fact that she's not a dancer or that she, it's not the thing that she does. And yet, right now, like, her whole thing is the sparkly bodysuits and choreography, right? Because that's what she's doing because that's what's done these days. And I I don't want to get too off the topic because it's not – anyway, that, like, women are treated unfairly in popular music now because in order – even if you are Lizzo – you are still wearing the tight right. bodysuits. You are still doing the choreography. You still have people. I mean, if you are popular, popular, right? Yeah. I mean, a lot of musicians that I will go and see are not. But, I mean, even the lesser known. Like, I'm a big fan of Sylvanesso, nobody knows. And um, Amelia Meath, that lead singer, she still dresses in a more tightly fitted clothing way, right? Can you be a female musician? in the industry and not have the cleavage and not wear a bodysuit and all of that. Right. Is it possible? I right. don't even know. I mean, yeah, there are people who are scraping by, but as far as, and that's just an example of, you know, a gender thing, but can you think of injustices about specific? I mean, I guess the, um, yeah. another example I was thinking of while I was asking the question and answering it to myself was in Rhiannon Giddens' beautiful book, The Build a House Book, she specifically has, and it's a picture book based on a song that she wrote, and she specifically talks about um, black slaves, and I wrote a song and you took my song, and right. talks about the appropriation exactly. of black music by white folk musicians, and, you know, I mean, I sang that song and read the book to fourth graders, and talked a little bit about that very briefly you know I mean again everything has to be done within the context of what is developmentally appropriate for kids but I did talk about how a lot of music that we have now was taken from the black slave tradition and then that turned into you know rock and roll music and country music and a lot of the music we listen to today and you know when we think about the banjo so many times we think of that as being like a white country music instrument but really it comes from the black African and slave traditions. So, anyways, that's an example. I well, guess, we could talk that. about the discrimination of hip hop and rap. Well, right. Just in the in general public, and while it's a very popular genre now, yeah, now, yeah, but not being taken seriously early. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, for many years, people who DJ, people who like contribute. DJing, scratching, were looked down upon and not real musicians, right? Mm -hmm. So there's some... I think, um, yeah, I mean, all of these standards were very helpful, and I'm not trying to say that they weren't, but for me, when I think about the social justice in music and I think of children, I think more so of, like, that activist standpoint and one of the 
one, the final standard is students and music educators will identify figures, groups, events, and a variety of strategies and philosophies relevant to the history of social justice around the world as evidenced through particular musicians, musical genres, and musical cultures. So maybe this is just putting a little bit of a Pollyanna positive spin on it, but for me, rather than focus, I mean, yes, acknowledging the injustices, of course, is part of it. You can't not. But for me, I love to talk to my students about musicians who did you know, break barriers, musicians who did speak out when they saw, and how music can be a powerful tool for change. Yes, definitely. So that, to me, I mean, that's that standard I would really love to dig into more. Um, and, you know, the whole book by Juliet Hess about music and social justice, we'll link to it in the show notes as well. It gives a lot of examples. You know, I mean, and again, developmentally appropriate. This definitely gets into more older kid territory, middle school, high school students, but there but, are but still not things necessarily. That we can do. I mean, you yeah. know, even as, as simple as talking about the Stevie Wonder writing Happy Birthday exactly. to bring awareness to the need of a holiday for Martin Luther King Jr. Like, Things like that, yes, is appropriate for oh, second graders, first 100%. graders. Right. Um, so then she really digs into, which I think was really important, this idea of, in considerations of justice in music education, rural and, quote, urban music programs right. and the biases that go with both of those populations. And it's really that, that deficit thinking. So we're talking about the social economic groups and... and yeah. And our views for that. And I, I know I have struggled and do struggle with that and have bought into some of the stereotypes, I admit. Um, and I've not experienced teaching. I, I, I have definitely come across lots of music educators um, at workshops who are like the music teacher for kindergarten all the way through 12th grade. And, and they do choir and all well, they're lucky if they have a choir. They do band and they do general music. And so, yeah, I will admit that I I, I, I shudder. I'm like, I, I can't imagine what that's like. Yeah. I, I'm so glad I'm not doing that is what I usually come away with. Sure. And that was going to be my job until I decided to move to Colorado with my now husband was I was going to be in a very rural place in Illinois where I was teaching K through 12 elementary general music and then high school, middle school choir. And that was going to be my life in a very, very teeny tiny town. And while I didn't grow up in a super rural area in Illinois, I had a lot of friends who lived on the outskirts of town, and my husband has lived in small towns in Wisconsin. So I've definitely experienced a lot of rural um, life. And, you know, I think I see some of these stereotypes that she talks about, about, you know, lack of of cultural awareness and you know ignorance and all this kind of stuff of people who live in more rural settings and you know it's just it can't not be something yeah a common theme is that students are considered less knowledgeable i'm reading on page 113 and their musical backgrounds less valuable than their suburban and perhaps white peers and that applies to both rural and urban settings Right, right because when we talk about urban settings settings urban is a code word for um, black and lower economic uh, yeah. students yeah. and yeah and that's how definitely we yeah. have and then also talking about ELL populations you know talking about immigrants and some of the stereotypes that go with English that as, as a well. second language ELL yes. yeah mm-hmm. yeah and so I just appreciate that she just puts it out there 
and then just reminds us as music educators to be aware of our own biases that that come from where we grow up and our thoughts about um, kids who come from different populations than what we're familiar with and um, you know how we can use music as a tool you know she talked a lot about in when the immigrants section talking about teaching students from immigrant families you know using the song this land is your land but really digging into the verses that sometimes people don't know about talking about what is my land versus what is your land and whose land is it anyway that type of idea yeah um you know so we can find songs that really help us dig into these topics with our students and ourselves but and this is back to um culturally relevant teaching right uh is this idea of uh, that she discusses like on page 113 and 114 is that teachers uh getting into a urban school where they disregard their students musical potentials because it doesn't align not only do the specific genres songs music repertoire not align with what the music teacher comes in with but their ways of learning and we have talked yeah a lot about that and you know you should listen to our past yeah. um you know culturally responsive teaching in music education was where we really got into that that just because they're not le- when they're not learning from you whose fault is that exactly is what we want to talk yeah. about right and it's not just about the repertoire. It's all about um, also, you know, inclusive practices that yes, make exactly. look and feel different than the ones that you are used to from your own childhood. And, uh, you know, it's funny because reading through these, I, it makes me think of Facebook threads that I've read, right? Where, stu- where teachers, music teachers are like, I'm at my wit's end and I don't know what to do. And yeah. Here's my situation. And then they get a lot of, I mean, whatever. I, this is just how this these things happen is that a lot of music teachers will jump and say well it's not you it's them or it's you yeah, yeah. don't worry and because that's why blame people the go parents, there blame yeah the blame the parents blame the students blame yeah. the administration but um yeah so it's an interrogation of our own practices yeah i mean having taught in schools that had a very high percentage of latino and hispanic students i have been there where i have not done right by my students and i know this and i'm learning and trying to do better even though that's not where i'm teaching now i can still reflect on that time and think there were times where i know i wasn't doing what I needed to do for those kids and that you know that's neither here nor there as far as I can't go back and change it but I can reflect on it and I can learn and that deficit thinking model is just something that I think about a lot with students is you know the assumptions that we have about what our kids don't know and that we're not appreciating the things that they do know because their knowledge of certain things is going to be far more reaching than mine (laughs) in certain areas right and appreciating that and then building upon those strengths and then providing them with new opportunities you know that's the goal it's not easy though right and i'm going to jump ahead because i i love this quote from zaretta hammond um that dr howard puts in on page 118 who asks us to imagine going through school without feeling affirmed for the way you speak think or see the world that would be tough um anyway and then she lists out i love it bullet points because i can get on board with bullet points create a responsive room environment make the curriculum relevant and this is just a summarizing of 
you know, books we've read in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, use a variety of teaching modalities. Boy, that's that's huge. Yeah. Familiarize yourself with the cultural norms. Oh my gosh, that's huge. Because you were talking about, you know, not doing right. I, I've definitely done that. And in retrospect, and I'm talking like, oh, months and years retrospect going, oh, I know now why this class uh, or this whole grade level did not respond to such and such because I didn't know fill in the blank because right. I didn't understand at the time this thing anyway yeah. um, familiar uh, distinguish between academic English and conversational and home English oh, yeah, honor students first languages weave multiple language into music events oh gosh all of those things um, and that's just a you know a brief overall primer yeah right all right okay there's so much more we could talk about. I think we should uh, put a, put a pin in it. But um, oh, well, yeah. yeah, next yeah. time will be chapter seven and eight and kind of some final conclusions. But I think you know, like so many things we read, every every chapter that we read in here makes me want to read more in that particular subject. And so again, we'll link to books and articles and things in the show notes that will help you dig more into specifically cultural appropriation, specifically social justice and music education um, okay because there is so much out there yeah and it's really just books and articles that we've discussed in past episodes well and keep in mind that it's not just about reading all the things and ingesting all things but you need to chew on it you need to absolutely apply it to yourself which is why at the end of every chapter dr howard has these great reflection questions that really zones into you personally as a music teacher some things to ponder um to just do better in your own practice yeah and it's time for our coda section where we talk about something that we are into tv books movies music yeah Carrie? okay yeah. i felt like watching a scary movie which i know Surprise. i do the tr- i know well no i do the true crime thing podcasts and like the mystery books but like Real scary, like horror genre. It's not generally my thing. Scaries. There's yeah, psychological yeah. scary. Yeah, and psychological there's... scary to me is the scariest. Like, yeah, I don't go there often because yeah. that's just. just I but can't. I don't know. I was I just sleep. in the mood and I was by myself. But it was during the day. This is how I. It doesn't myself. matter, Carrie. I was like, no. it's not dark. It's during the day, so I watched. Nope. <laughs> And I haven't even watched Get Out yet. I know that's a fantastic movie. I've heard so many great things about it, and I need to watch it. But I was just scrolling through, and I was like, oh, nope, it's on Amazon, so it's free to me. Um, And, you know, it got less scary as it went on. I'll just say that. Because to me, the scariest thing is when you don't know what the thing is, right? That's, like, terrorizing the people. Of course. Um, But then once you kind of know what the thing is, it's... Well, it's still scary and suspenseful. It's not quite as terrifying. But um, no, no, I say nope. Okay, you I'm, say nope I'm to nope. Ter- but I'm just, I'm just gonna say, if you're someone like me who kind of likes scary stuff, but you're not always sure if you can handle it, to me this was like, I could handle it, and it and it's, it's on Amazon. I've so. heard it's brilliant. It is, and I've heard Get Out is brilliant. Yeah, that's and... my next one. I just need to. I don't care if I'm gonna pay to rent it. I just need to watch Get Out, but I will watch it during the day when there's. You know, sunlight. you know what I do when I'm intrigued by a movie like that, but I know it's gonna be too scary. I just read the synopsis. Like I read the oh, I do that detailed too. synopsis, and yeah. and then I get a feel for it, yeah. and I still go, 
nope. Yeah, yeah. That's enough. Yeah, and then to me, of course, there's so much symbolism in it, and there's so much, like, you know, then going back and, like, reading articles um, about, like, what did this particular thing mean? Like, this is Jordan Peele's, like, right, yeah. his genius. Yeah. It's, like, every little, like, there's nothing accidental in that movie. It is, it is social commentary on top of being scared, but then, like, very specific you know symbolic i think it's brilliant i appreciate it and i still (laughs) need my sleep yeah yeah, it's scary um so there you go i watched nope and it was good yay it's not anything too new but you know yeah newish all right what about you tanya something not so scary not so scary yeah i'm boring um so i just finished a book that is probably the best book i've read this year um, I've read a lot of three-star books yeah. um, that are okay, but, you know, sometimes you want a book that's just really great. Anyway, I actually made this one last because I was enjoying enjoying, enjoying it oh, uh, so much. And it's called The Spoon Stealer by Leslie Crew. And I have to say, I'm not going to tell you much about it except for it's just about a, um, a, a woman from a Nova Scotia farm who's living in England um, and I think we're in the 1960s, uh, 1970s. And if you like Ted Lasso. Hmm. I still haven't watched Ted Lasso. Oh, my but gosh. What's wrong? I hear it's great. You've got to see Ted Lasso. <laughs> anyway, it's got the same spirit of Ted Lasso. Okay. Right? So, um, you know, that's that's where the comparisons are done. Uh, but it's just a very heartwarming book, but not in a sentimental obviously pulling on your heartstrings kind of way it's like authentic feel good i think book called the spoon stealer so there you go okay we've reached the double bar line thank you for listening to music teacher coffee talk show notes can be found at music teacher coffee talk podcast.com you can connect with us on facebook and instagram just look for music teacher coffee talk if you enjoyed this show, please consider subscribing, rating, and leaving us a review on iTunes to help others find this podcast. And we always appreciate folks buying us a coffee, so look for that link on our show notes and on our Facebook page. In our next episode, we'll be wrapping up our summer book club by discussing chapters 7 and 8 of Realizing Diversity by Dr. Karen Howard. Until next time, this is Tanya. And this is Carrie, wishing you happy musicking. <laughs>